I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Congresswoman Victoria Sparks who was born, raised, and educated in Ukraine, and now proudly serves Indiana's 5th Congressional District, just north of Indianapolis, in the United States House of Representatives. She was elected in November 2021. Representative Sparks immigrated to the United States in 2000 after meeting her husband, Jason, a born and raised Indiana Hoosier, on a train in Europe. She became a U.S. citizen and worked her way up from being a bank teller to a CPA, finance executive, successful business owner and Indiana State Senator. Representative Sparks just returned from a bipartisan congressional delegation trip to Brussels and Ukraine. She's joining me today to share her experience on that trip and to give us a sense from her vast knowledge of what she thinks we can expect next with Russia and Ukraine. Victoria, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure and honor to be with you. So you actually grew up when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. Yes, I actually grew up in a territory that's very close to Russian and Belarusian border, northern parts of Ukraine. And what was it like to be in a Soviet economy and Soviet dictatorship? This is kind of the whole battle you can see right in Ukraine. When Soviet Union fell apart in 91, 
I still was back in Ukraine. We had the fight of ideas and ideals. Half of still my professor at my University of Economics wanted to be with communists and had communist propaganda. Half want to be free enterprise and being new generation of Friedman and Hayek. And it's sad for me to see where Russia turned. And I'm glad to see that Ukrainians don't want it back. They don't want that misery back. And you can see how now China is in line with Russia that won't bring the dictatorship back in the European continent because the issue at stake is not just Ukraine. It's really security architecture of the whole continent. And it's really the battles of ideas and ideals because Ukraine is kind of in the middle. It's like a gateway between East and West. And Ukrainian people do not want to go back to the misery, dictatorship, and suppression because we maybe had a little bit glimpse of socialism during this pandemic, but no one wants to have it long term. Well, I was going to say, when you and I first chatted a while back, I was very impressed with the fact that you've lived in a state-controlled economy and in basically a secret police environment where people get censored and people get, in effect, delisted if they're not careful. So you know how bad it can get. To what extent are you concerned here at home about the perennial effort on the left to try to push us into some kind of big government socialism? Oh, it's a significant concern. And if any socialistic system starts with empowering central government, right? Because it's really when centralized powers of a government become in charge of economy, not a free exchange between buyers and sellers, when decisions are come either from Moscow or Washington, D.C., when now businesses going all to Washington, D.C. to ask permission where to invest, to go to committees and be harassed by their own government and suppressed, that is really what real socialism is. And we've seen it more and more where all the CEOs now are in committees explaining the government how to do business and the government gives them permission what to do and what not to do. I think for me, it was shocking to see what's happening in our country and it's resemblance Soviet Union more than I could ever imagine. Why do you think Putin is forcing this crisis? I mean, it seems to me that at one level that he must have enough challenges at home, but at another level, they have built up a huge foreign reserve of money, and the price of oil is a huge asset to them. How serious do you think he is about trying to either occupy or in some way take apart uh, Ukraine? Well, I mean, he's an opportunist, and he's a pretty serious aggressor and not stupid. He understood that we have a very weak leadership in our country. Biden administration done a lot of missteps. They have very stupid energy policy, where now we're becoming the much big importer of Russian oil ourselves, where under President Trump, we were forcing Germany to think about their dependencies on gas and build liquid natural gas terminals. Now we shut down Keystone Pipeline. 70% of our liquid natural gas is idle. We are not building terminals. Biden dropped the ball. He told that he's not going to do sanctions on Nord Stream 2. We also had a debacle in Afghanistan. We have economic bad policy and weaknesses in our economy. So I think all of these policies embolden Putin, and he wants to test how far he can challenge the West. He also team up with China. And if you think about it, it's very interesting. I look at the joint statement where China and Russia, they call them some like-minded friends, which 
honestly, they're only, I mean, they have a lot of challenge in themselves, but their like-mindedness is really hate of United States. I think they're together on it, but they're talking about changing the definition of democracy. And they're saying that they've been world powers with the rich heritage of democracy for thousands of years. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? It's like, are they drinking Kool-Aid? Oh, I really believe in their own propaganda. It's almost like when President Biden was talking about our border is as secure as and under Trump, Afghanistan is successful, and Nancy Pelosi saying 3.5 trillion costs at zero. I mean, it's like a joke to say that. But they're determined and very aggressive, and they understand that free Ukraine with democracy in Ukraine is threat to regimes of China and Russia. So that's why they're so determined to go and really suppress people there. So on your recent trip, was it about what you expected or was it different than you thought it would be? It was a bipartisan trip of Democrats and Republicans. And I suspect you had the greatest level of knowledge of anybody on the trip about Ukraine. But what did you see that surprised you or what did you see that you think Americans should know? Well, I think one thing, you know, I left country 21 years ago and it was a very different country. What I really was surprised how pro-Western and pro-American Ukrainian people became. I mean, Ukrainian government is all over the place. And as I expected, it's hard to even figure out what they're thinking. But Ukrainian people, they've been in the war for seven years now. They've been around Europe from a bad life to have all kinds of jobs everywhere. They've seen the West much more and they do not want to go back. So they are willing to die and fight with nothing to be a free country with democracy and be pro-Western country. This is very, the will of the people and determination. I didn't expect, as I said, I grew up in the Chernigov region. Chernigov region has been always multinational. I know some people actually from Russia where their sons are fighting in the Ukrainian army right now against Russia. It's not about Russia and Ukraine. It's about the ideas and ideals. And Ukrainians are tired of suppressions and socialism and communists, and they're willing to die to have freedoms. And it's unfortunate sometimes when I see how we give out our freedoms for nothing. And then it's sad for me to see because then a lot of young people have to die to get it back. And we need to be very vigilant. And it breaks my heart to see what's happening in a lot of other countries. And it is hard to get it back. Ukraine being independent for 30 years, still cannot get these freedoms back. But for me, it was surprising because the region I grew up never was anti-Russian. People was very multinational, but it is very anti-Russian and pro-Western right now. And people want freedom. People don't even look the same to me anymore. That was surprising for me to see that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. So in that sense... If I remember correctly, there was a anti-communist insurgency right after World War II that lasted till about 1947, in which Ukrainians were deeply opposed to the Soviets reestablishing control. Shouldn't that be sort of a warning to Putin that this may not be a very easy-to-digest process, that even if they came in, they might face a long-term resistance? That is Ukraine been under suppression fight for a long time. Actually, my own family, you know, they were farmers. And when Bolsheviks came, took their land, they sent my grandpa with his family to steep south. And that was a lot of Ukrainians die. One of his siblings died. When my grandpa came back home, he ate so many potato peels that almost died from it. So he still remembers they were trying to force him to join Communist Party and collective farms, and he never did it. They all even sent him to Siberia jail at some point. My other grandpa, he fought partisan movement during German occupation, and he was lead partisan where they killed him, and not just him, they killed his wife and his sister. They shot all of them. My grandma, at the age of 12, had to raise her six-year-old brother by herself. So a lot of people died. And when Germans thought they're going to occupy people, it's very difficult. You can maybe come and take over the country, but hold country of that size. And if that population that doesn't want to be with you, it will be costly for Russia. And it really can cause a lot of problems for Russia. So I think it's a huge risk for Russia. And I think it will be bad for Russia, too. Along that line, I mean, I think people underestimate just how big Ukraine is. That's right. It's one of the largest countries in Europe. I mean, it used to have over 50 million population, probably around 40 now. But I mean, it's a large country. You know, Hitler used to call it the motherland of Europe. And it has a lot of resources, real earth minerals. It has a lot of good soils, too. And it's a breadbasket. But it's also another danger. Ukraine has about 60 nuclear reactors. You know, even though after Soviet Union fell apart, in exchange for agreement, Budapest Memorandum, Ukraine gave up actually the nuclear missiles, but it has 60 nuclear reactors. 
that actually poses some risk of a major war to provide security because each of these reactors is a nuclear bomb by itself. And I think that's created a lot of dangers where the country is and how country is located. So I think this is a very serious situation. And I think, unfortunately, this administration been weak and slow on their start, but they have to figure out how to deal with it because we have millions of people died to keep this peace for 77 years. Our fathers and great fathers paid a significant price for it. And for me to see what's happening right now in Europe, it's unfortunate, but we just have to do our best. It's like night and day, I'll be honest with you. I did not expect, it's like Ukrainian people, they sing national anthem before they go sit down at the table and have drinks. I mean, when I left, it still was kind of, pro-Western somewhat. Some people were pro-Soviet Union still. There was still kind of battling ideas. And people wanted new life. People wanted democracy. But I don't think at that time people wanted to die for democracy. I think people are willing to die for democracy now. And these younger people, just think about it. You know, I grew up still with Soviet Union. I remember what Soviet Union is. A lot of these young people, Ukraine been independent for 30 years they don't know what Russia is as a country. I mean, they know the country, but they have no connection to it. They grew up in Ukraine. They're Ukrainians. I'm actually not a Ukrainian-born. I'm a Soviet Union-born person. The country doesn't exist for a reason. They're Ukrainian-born. This is the only country they knew, and a lot of these young kids are dying now. 15,000 of these kids died, and some of them at the age like 15. I mean, it's a crazy war that's happening there right now. So I think at this point, I mean, they're willing to go forward, but I think Russia is a big aggression. It will be a very huge cost of life. And for me, it's sad to see how many young people will have to die. I was very struck when Callista and I were in Kyiv. In many ways, it is the center of civilization up to about 1,200. Russian civilization was actually centered in Kiev rather than in Moscow. Moscow was this dinky little town off in the forest up until the Mongols arrived. And you see this with some of the monasteries and churches. that There was just extraordinary wealth and extraordinary civilization in Ukraine in that period. And I think that there's a part of the sense of pride is this heritage that goes back now for nearly a thousand years. Well, I think it's interesting because Chernigov Prince and the Kievan Rus, the area I grew up, he's the one who studied Moscow. Because when Mongols and Tatars, when they attacked them from the east, they wanted to bring capital north. So really, if you talk about there is more claim of Kiev to Russian territory than Moscow to Ukrainian territory. And it's kind of funny, let me tell you, listen, little story about Crimea. Like a lot of people say, well, Khrushchev was Ukrainian, so he gave Crimea to Ukraine. But in reality, Khrushchev was born in the village that is right now in Kursk region, Russia. So that was a gesture he did because a lot of Ukrainian territories that now Russians were taken from them. So be nice to Ukraine is a gesture in exchange. He said, well, Ukraine can have Crimea. I'm just saying Europe is a can of worms. There is so much history and bad blood start redividing the territories and start looking who was under which country and what happened before. It's extremely dangerous to stability and peace in Europe. It can open up significant conflicts, and we have a lot of people died to keep peace. Your congressional delegation visited Brussels both for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and the European Union. 
What was your sense of the mood in Brussels? I think, interestingly enough, I think this aggression united Congress in some ways, even though, you know, we're very still divided in a lot of things. But for the good of this country, national security, we went together. It also united European Union and NATO because they understand that it's a threat to them, too, and also kind of showed them the importance of the United States is a guarantor of their stability. You know, they were like very kind of wishy-washy before. Now they understand if we are not there, no one is going to come and help them. And also, I think Trump did a good job pushing on them, say, you know what, Europe, you have to step up too. You cannot just only rely on us. So I think a lot of them start realizing that threats are real. So I think NATO is united. And European Union, you have countries like Sweden and Finland that never even considered to be NATO members before. Now are talking about that. And they're extremely nervous because they understand what this aggression can cause. I think we definitely have challenges with Germany because Germany did a lot of stupid policies with their utopian green agenda, where now it's like a joke. We'll be flying on solar panels by the end of the year. This is just like stupid, right? So they eliminated coal industry, nuclear energy. Then they pretty much depended on Russian gas. So they put them in a difficult situation. But I think Germany also understand that Russia used to be in Berlin too. Okay, so hopefully they remember that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now.
President Biden has actually been, I think, more focused and more effective in trying to modulate a serious response than I would have expected, given how they behave, say, towards Iran. I think he approved 8,500 troops last week going to Europe and just announced another 3,000 troops going to Poland, Germany, and Romania. I think a battalion of the 82nd Airborne was flying into Europe today, and we're certainly going to be in Poland and Romania. You may know, I don't know, whether or not we're going to be in Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. I mean, these are obviously symbolic forces compared to the 130,000 Russian troops on the eastern front of Ukraine, but they're also a pretty big tripwire. My father was a career soldier, and we used to live on the inter-German border back in the late 1950s, and it was clear we were there as a signal to the Russians that we would go to war. In fact, they made a big point back then that we had families there because we knew that it's one thing to kill professional soldiers. It's another thing to kill their wives and their children, or in the modern world, their husbands and their children. From your perspective, do you think having the United States begin to increase its strength in Europe does send a signal to Moscow? I think he is now scrambling. His response has been slow. Putin has been doing this since March. So he missed some opportunities to de-escalate the situation. So now he has to deal with what he has to deal. And at least he needs to show that we're ready to defend our NATO allies. And he has to do some things to show that we're serious. Because I don't think he's done so many things when he does the talk, but doesn't do the walk. And what's he done? He pretty much abandoned not just U.S. citizens, but NATO and Afghanistan. So it's now all of this adversary kind of watching. So he had to kind of do something to show it, to just rebuild at least some of presence then to show that he means business. So I think he's dealing now with a position of weakness, so he needs to strengthen them. And I mean, troop movements, it shows some deterrent, and at least you can show that you help with NATO. But he also needs to, in this situation, to think seriously how we can look at what kind of sanctions can be done you know, if he does continue this aggression, that makes sure that Putin understand that it will be costly and they can be sustained long term and we can get countries like Germany on board and put pressure on them to do that. And I think Germany will be on board, but we need to make sure that they will have a real impact. So if he does move, that it's going to be a real deterrent for him not to go further. Don't we now have Canadian, British and American troops in Western Ukraine training the Ukrainian military? No, we don't have troops. We just have some advisors just helping out with some of the trainings, but we don't have any troops and no one is planning to do it. Ukraine understands very realistically it's not going to happen and we do not have that commitment. We have commitment under Article 5 to our NATO allies, but we do not have commitment to Ukraine. It's not even on the table and I think everyone understands that. But I think we need to make sure that we're serious about our NATO allies. And you can see that Putin is now bringing ballistic missiles very close to Ukrainian border, too, to show his strength. So I think it's unfortunate that the situation escalated to where it is right now. Unfortunately, President Biden gave up a lot of negotiation tools for nothing before it, created very bad policies and environment now for Putin to be ahead. And now he has to be reactive to everything what he does. 
But I think we still need to try to find a way for diplomacy, find the way to get Putin back off and find the way to really to stop this significant conflict that can have a significant implication of world order and the whole piece of security around the world. It's way more serious than a lot of people realize and the implication of it. And I think we don't want to send our children to die. As President Reagan always said, peace through our strength is much better mechanism than the war. But I think we did an escalation. We allowed this happen to this way. So now we just have to do what we can do. What was your take on the Xi Jinping-Putin joint communique and Putin going to Beijing? There are a lot of challenges that Russia has with China really taking control. I mean, they give millions of acres of Russia to China for nothing. Like the leases, they give like 30 cents per year. I mean, this is like ridiculous. So I think China is taking over Siberia, Far East, a lot of Russian there now are afraid to get out of their houses. So I think it's opposed to significant risk. And China is very clever. They're using their economic expansion as a mechanism to obtain more resources. Think about it. Even what's happened in Ukraine, right? Ukraine passed a law not to allow to buy strategic assets. I think they bought one plant, which was building manufactured agents and aircrafts. President Trump put pressure for Ukraine, for the administration, to dissolve that transaction. Biden actually continued with that. Now it's an arbitrage. Ukraine has a lot of rare earth minerals, a lot of land. So they have a lot of economic interests. I mean, another thing, what we did kind of stupid, let China to expand with their vaccines, right? We were harassing our people and hogging vaccines, and we didn't even need as much vaccine and try to force people to do vaccine they don't even want, which is a complete government coercion. It's like totalitarian regime. But then China was trying to coerce other countries and selling strategic assets around the world because they were giving them vaccines and no one else provided. They couldn't buy a vaccine anywhere else. So a lot of these countries had to pretty much buy a vaccine from China, get it, and then return to sell their strategic assets. So now Russia accumulated a lot of military capital, China economic capital, and they team up because they want to challenge us and want to strike at us together. I think that's right. And I think that poses a big long-term challenge. Listen, I want to thank you for joining me. I think both your experience growing up and being educated in Ukraine and then coming to the U.S., but also this recent trip, which reconnected you and gave you a pretty current view. And I really appreciate, given everything you have to do as a member of Congress, you're taking the time to chat with us and to help us have a better understanding. And I'm very grateful that you're willing to serve the country as the representative for Indiana's 5th District. So thank you very, very much, Victoria. Well, thank you so much. It's my great honor. And I'll tell you, I never thought in my wildest dream that my experiences growing up in a Soviet and communist country and socialism would be very handy for me now to fight a lot of communists and socialists in our country. So I guess I was trained by them well, so I know how they operate. So I feel we have the greatest country in the world and we need to keep it strong because strong America is great for the rest of the world. And we need to do a better job and have some smart and common sense policy and better leadership in our country. But thank you so much and thank you for everything you've done to keep this country great and strong. Thank you to my guest, Congresswoman Victoria Sparts. You can read more about defending Ukraine against Putin 
on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.